listener production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, May 31. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Katrina Blowers. Hey, Katrina. Hey, everyone. I don't know about you, Tom, but a couple of my friends who, they sailed through COVID, you know, they said it wasn't so bad, they didn't feel too sick. Now they're being absolutely floored by the flu. They, they reckon that this flu virus is the worst they've ever experienced and they're saying that they feel way worse with the flu than they ever felt with COVID. We're certainly seeing a rise, unfortunately. Influenza, the flu, really can be a life-threatening illness. Health experts warning of a major surge in flu, cold and COVID cases. Yeah, it is pretty concerning. Our medical experts in Victoria are calling it a super flu. Cases have tripled in the last three weeks. A lot of teachers are getting sick, meaning some schools have even had to go back to at-home learning, which must be devastating for not just the kids but their parents. A lot of sporting teams are being affected too. Collingwood lost its captain recently. A Western Bulldogs player has been sidelined for more than four weeks with it. So these are really fit, healthy people who are getting super sick. Yeah, so we're going to look into this in our briefing today. What do you need to know about this particularly strange flu season? That's our briefing in just a moment. First, here are today's headlines. The vote count now has Anthony Albanese forming a majority government. Yeah, so remember the magic number is over 75 seats. That's more than half of the House of Reps. And the Australian Electoral Commission has Labor leading with 77 seats. The ABC has them leading in 76, so they've hit that magic number. This comes after the ABC confirmed the ALP will retain the Melbourne seat of McNamara with two seats, Deakin in Melbourne and Gilmore on the New South Wales south coast, still too close to call. Yeah, but that means they could actually get to 77 or 78 and only need 76 to pass legislation without needing the votes of any of all those crossbenchers, including the Teal Independents. They will need support from independents in the upper house, though. It'll need to come from the Greens or Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie or the new ACT Senator David Pocock. Anthony Albanese's full front bench is set to be sworn in tomorrow. And on the other side of the chamber, Peter Dutton has been elected unopposed as the Liberal leader. To clean up Labor's mess in three years' time, they are going to be a bad government. There's no doubt in my mind. He's already gone on the attack warning the new government's policies will drive up electricity prices, inflation and the cost of living. He's uh, talked about the forgotten people in the suburbs, the the families, the small business owners, and he's accused uh, big business leaders of focusing on social policies while failing to speak out on economic issues. He says they're too scared of a pylon on Twitter and he's also accused them of not speaking out on industrial relations, tax and wages reform. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a leader who's really listened to the election result. Talking about the forgotten Australians focusing on the suburbs, that sounds like exactly what Scott Morrison used to be Mm. talking about and he just lost. Um, And then that line about corporate leaders, it sounds like he's accusing them of getting it wrong rather than the Liberal Party failing to represent them. Yeah, a bit of a a, a veiled swipe or not so veiled swipe at at Qantas, which (laughs) Alan Joyce hasn't responded to this just yet. Uh, He did show some contrition, though, apologising for not supporting the apology to the stolen generations back in 2008. Yeah, and they elected Susan Lee as the deputy leader, and she's pledged to do more to try and win female voters back to the Liberal Party. Meantime, the Nationals have ditched Barnaby Joyce as leader. Well, I suppose you think I'm sad, 
Not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> David Littleproud was elected the new leader of the Nationals. It's using common sense and being in the sensible centre. That's where you win elections, not chasing extremities. So there we go, potentially some new direction for the Nationals there. China has copped a blow in its Pacific ambitions after an attempt at a 10-country agreement failed. So this group of Pacific leaders refused to sign up to China's proposed region-wide security and economic deal. Here's what the Fijian Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama said. As always, we put consensus first among our countries throughout uh, any discussion on new regional agreements. So Micronesia is believed to be at least one of those dissenting voices, the country's president warning that signing up threatens to bring a new Cold War era at best and a world war at worst. Yeah, so China haven't got what they wanted with this multilateral agreement, but they have been signing up some bilateral treaties. Um, This news, though, will come as a big relief to the Australian government that China haven't been able to sign all these countries up. Perhaps Labor will even want to take some credit for this. Penny Wong appeared to make this situation in the Pacific a big priority in week one, basically making it a goal to re-establish our presence in the region so that China doesn't become more dominant. Aussie billionaire businessman Mike Cannon-Brooks has gotten his way with AGL, pushing Australia's biggest energy company to scrap its demerger. It's a win for corporate democracy in this particular case and, and hopefully for people voting for the opportunities of decarbonisation for Australia. So that's Cannon Brooks there. He's been arguing that AGL's plan to separate its coal-powered assets into a separate entity would slow the company's exit from coal power. And not only did he convince enough other shareholders to vote against the demerger, he's also brought about enough changes that four out of eight board members have now stepped down, including the chairman and the CEO. Yeah, it's pretty huge. It comes after Cannon Brooks tried to take over the company twice earlier this year. When that failed, he then bought up enough shares to become the business's major shareholder at 11%. And and that's how he's been able to have such a big influence over the company. He has not ruled out another takeover bid. And winter is definitely here, um, one day until it starts officially, but there's already an icy polar blast lashing much of southeast Australia, bringing freezing temperatures, rain, winds, and the first big snowfall for the year. I think we had about three hours of sunshine, and now this. <laughs> temperatures are expected to be up to six degrees below the average for the rest of the week where you are, Tom, in Sydney. I think you're going to have your coldest day of the year, like, in, in a couple of days. Yeah, so the cold front low-pressure system started sweeping through the country on Sunday, and it's going to continue all week. It's affecting South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, even as far up as Queensland, Katrina. Yeah, we've got 90 kilometre an hour winds today, so that's fun. (laughs) And get this, the wild weather even saw a tornado wreak destruction in the northern suburbs of Adelaide yesterday. Yes, and skiers and snowboarders will be noting there are already big falls on the mountains, hopefully building a beautiful (laughs) base for a big season. All this precipitation has got got to do some good, surely, Katrina. Surely it's got to. All right, Jan Fran's about to jump in to talk about Florona. What you need to know about this nasty flu virus doing the round and and whether you should worry about it joining forces with COVID. (laughs) 
from zero to 100 faster than your electric car. Jan Fran, that is not my excitement levels about being able to book an overseas trip again, although I am very excited about that. Sadly, that's a quote from the head of the AMA in Victoria talking about the spread of a so-called super flu, which is doing the rounds right now. Yes, that is the unfortunate reality. Australia's peak medical body says that the flu and COVID-19, remember that thing? That's still around. They're both running rampant. So they want masks to be made mandatory again, Katrina. Yeah, more than 10,000 cases of the flu have been reported this year. That's um, the latest stats. And of course, those stats, there's a lag time in that. So they actually expect that there's plenty more cases than that. In Victoria, it is so bad that emergency departments are reporting they're being overwhelmed. There is also the threat of something called fluorona, which is where you get infected with both the flu virus and COVID-19 at the same time which does not sound fun and sounds incredibly unfortunate because a woman in Victoria died from it. So given we're all super battle-weary from the pandemic, what do we need to know about this latest threat? How much of a risk is fluorona? And what can we do to protect ourselves as we head into winter? To help us answer that question, we've got Dr Paul Griffin. He is an infectious disease expert at the University of Queensland. He joins us on the briefing now. Uh, Dr Griffin, welcome to the show. We are heading into winter. We know that COVID is still very much out there and now we know so is the flu. So just before we get into it, give us a bit of a refresher. What exactly are experts talking about when they talk about the flu? Yeah, so influenza is a, is a very significant respiratory virus in its own right. And while it might share some symptoms with COVID, it's actually a very different virus with some different properties. And of course, needs different interventions to control it. And the, the biggest challenge we're seeing at the moment is we normally have a flu season. So some people get protected by being infected and lots of people get vaccinated. But our measures to control COVID have been really effective at keeping the flu away. So no one's got any protection from recent infection and our vaccine rates have fallen away. So while the flu is something we're used to doing with every season we've never had a level of susceptibility in the population that we have at the moment oh, okay so is it the case that you kind of need to be exposed to the flu virus pretty regularly in order to build your immunity against it to a degree of course that the best way to build immunity is to get the vaccine which trains your immune system to respond to the virus without having the risk of getting the disease but often we have a lot of people that get vaccinated and then some people that will get their protection from being infected but for the last few seasons we haven't really had much of both so so that means our level of susceptibility in the population is really high at the moment so even if we don't see a large number of cases the consequences of even a small number of cases is likely to be far greater than we're used to seeing. So it sounds like it's been a good thing, I guess, that we haven't had too many cases of the flu because we have been protecting ourselves a little bit more against COVID, not interacting as much, wearing masks. But that does seem to be coming with some consequences as well. So what can we expect in the winter months, Doc? Like, Can we expect a bit of a spike in flu cases? Are they going to be worse? What should people expect? 
We are expecting the cases to continue to increase. And, you know, we normally have a relatively predictable peak, uh, usually in the middle or the second half of winter, depending a bit on where you are. This year is a bit harder to predict because we still do have some of those measures in place that will maybe reduce the risk of transmission to a degree in terms of mask wearing, social distancing, hand hygiene, and hopefully people staying home if they have symptoms. So that might just spread out the season a bit or move it from where it normally is. And we also don't have some of our normal drivers for the season as well in terms of the same volume of travel, particularly international travel, etc. So this year is really hard to predict, but given we've already seen a really big spike in cases and that has translated to some severe disease already, it is concerning that we might be in for a pretty tough winter. Yeah, what I'm hearing about this latest flu is that it is super nasty. I mean, friends of mine who've had it say that they're way sicker than when they had COVID. What are the hallmarks of this particular virus? Yeah, I think that really highlights some important points. I mean, a lot of people, and the same goes for COVID, but say, oh, that you know, you only get really sick from influenza if you've got risk factors or you're old or sick. And it's really clear that's not the case. And even young, well people without any apparent risk factors can get really unwell from, from this virus. So uh, it, it is one that we definitely need to take seriously. In terms of the symptoms, it's really hard to distinguish, particularly the early stages, from other respiratory viruses. So the sort of things we get, of course, are fevers, tiredness, headaches, respiratory symptoms like a sore throat, cough, shortness of breath. The, the main thing is that we can't distinguish these viruses just based on symptoms. So we do need people to get tested. And our, our testing is focused so much on COVID that we're not really great at finding the flu at the moment. So even though we've got a spike in cases, it's likely still a dramatic underrepresentation of the true situation. And so, you know, that's why it's really important if you get these kind of symptoms that now you have to not only get your rapid antigen test for COVID or a PCR for COVID, but get tested for the flu as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. How does one get tested for the flu? Because in previous years when I've had the flu, I've sort of just assumed, oh, I've got the flu, I'll stay home. But I've never actually gone and gotten a test that's confirmed that it's the flu. So how does one do that? Yeah, it's really important to get people tested. So not only so we can track what's going on, but also we have therapies, both for COVID and the flu. So if we find people early, we can actually do something about it as well. So the, the testing is very similar to COVID, although we don't yet have uh, readily available rapid antigen tests that people can do at home for the flu. So what people should do is still follow the same sort of recommendations for COVID. But if you have symptoms and your rapid antigen test is negative or you think it's not COVID, go and get a test for the flu, which involves going to a laboratory for one of those nose swabs where we can do a PCR test and most labs have a panel which actually finds the flu and even other respiratory viruses as well so so that way we can know what's going on we can get people the best therapy and tell them what to expect from their infection. So there's the flu and then there's COVID-19 but there's also something being called fluorona can you explain what that is and how much should we be worried about it? It's a bit confusing, some of these terms, because when we talked about Delta Cron, that was actually a combination of Delta and Omicron. So with the, the two viruses kind of merged together. With Florona, we're not talking about the two viruses coming together in that way. We're just talking about people that might get infected with both at the same time. And the challenge there is often the severity of disease compared to what people might have had with one or other virus is dramatically increased. So those people that do get both infections at the same time, more likely to go to hospital. To, to need healthcare support and get really sick from, from that infection. And, you know, while initially we thought that maybe we wouldn't see too many people getting both infections at the same time, we are actually starting to. So, again, highlights how important it is to be protected against 
both viruses. And that means being up to date with your COVID vaccines and having your flu vaccine this year as well. That is also a good point that you make because when we talk about protection against the flu, vaccination rates are much, much lower than COVID vaccination rates. So one vaccine does not necessarily protect against the other. You are suggesting that people go out there, make sure they're up to date with their COVID vaccines, but also get a separate shot for the flu. Oh, absolutely. And the really good thing is we can actually do both jabs at the same time. So if someone needs their third or fourth COVID shot and they haven't had their flu vaccine, you can actually go and get both at the same time, separate arms, of course. But there's been really good evidence that says that it doesn't reduce how well either vaccine protects you and there's no increased risk of any side effects. And you're absolutely right. The flu vaccine rates have really fallen away for a host of reasons. But we, we're sitting at about 19% as of a few weeks ago. So when we talked about how great we did with the COVID vaccines hitting 95 for those two doses, and that was a fantastic effort. We're sitting at 19 for the flu vaccine and that's really well below where it needs to be to to help uh, protect enough people and and keep people out of hospital and keep our, our hospitals having the capacity they need to look after people. All right. So the AMA in Victoria is saying we should reintroduce masks because in Victoria in particular, um, flu cases are really um, spiking there. What do you reckon? Should a mask mandate be reintroduced for the winter? Personally, I'd hope that we don't have to introduce a mandate. I mean, what I'd really like to see is that we learn from the lessons of the last few years and, and I guess from the experience we're seeing now with flu over the last few few weeks and that we, we get some sustained behavioural change on a voluntary basis. So what I mean by that is people appreciate how significant having both of these viruses in our population are and wear their masks on a voluntary basis. So we don't have to make people wear them when they don't want to, but that we'll start to see more people wearing them when they're out and about, particularly when they're mixing with large numbers of people. So, you know, we heard in terms of the rules, you know, public transport's a really good time to wear masks in the airports. But if you're in any crowded environment, particularly if you're having prolonged indoor close contact, then definitely just put your mask on. It is going to help both with COVID and the flu. And the other thing people often underappreciate is the mask wearing not only protects you, but protects people around you. So we get such a, an added benefit of wearing those masks in a widespread way that it's just such an important thing. And, and hopefully people will do that enough on a voluntary basis. Okay. I feel like people are quite wary, a bit tired of having to keep on top of things. We've just had two years of a pandemic. People are starting to feel like life is maybe getting back to normal a little bit. And then bang, we go into winter, we get some spikes in both COVID (laughs) and the flu. To our listeners out there, I'm probably counting myself in this pile of people, Doc, to be honest, who are just so over it. What is your recommendation? How do you mitigate catching the flu and how should we best behave to protect ourselves and the people around us in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, look, I think it's a really good point. And I think there is a lot of fatigue. You know, we're we're all a bit sick about talking about viruses and, and vaccines and those sorts of things. So I think for a lot of people, they've just said, no, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to all this. But what we need people to do is just listen enough and have just a, a high enough perception of risk now that they get the basics right. So we don't want to be alarmist and have to bombard people with information about this anymore. But we just want people to appreciate these two viruses are there. They're going to cause problems if we don't get the intervention right. And the interventions are quite simple. So that includes vaccination. So being up to date with your COVID vaccines. And I know that's complicated, but you can speak to your GP or vaccine provider and they'll give people the information they need. Being up to date with your flu vaccine. So getting one of those this year, 
getting tested if you have symptoms so we know which infection it is, staying home if you're sick, whichever one of those that it is, and doing some of those other things in terms of mask wearing, hand hygiene and social distancing, but on a voluntary basis and in a very reasonable way. And so if we get those things right, then hopefully we won't have to keep bombarding people with information because that'll give us a, a, enough of control at a population level that our hospitals will keep capacity, etc., and we won't see lots of people getting sick. So as I say, that, that's the level of, uh, of concern we need people to have so that we just get those key things right. That was Dr Paul Griffin, infectious diseases expert at the University of Queensland with some hot tips on how to avoid the flu in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I've got to confess, Jan, even though I was right on it with getting my COVID jab, like I think I was one of the first ones in my group of friends to go and get it, I have been a little bit more hit and miss with getting the flu jabs in, in recent years. I've kind of been like, oh, I'll just take my chances and maybe I'll build natural immunity. But after hearing that and also after seeing how sick some of my friends have been getting mm. with it, I'm going to book myself in and get that shot in my arm. I don't love how it makes you feel a bit crappy generally for, you know, a day or so, but God, it's got to be better than getting the flu. Yeah, well, I'm eight months prego, so I've been getting jabs left, right and centre. Why not just stick a flu shot in there? I reckon I'm going to do it next week. All right, that's it for us from the briefing today. Tomorrow, we're going to look at the crisis in the Liberal Party and exactly what made Australians turn away from them. Listener.